Hey there, chitheads. It's Lecky here with a quick message before we get started with this week's episode. A couple of months ago, Tristan and I interviewed Sam Illingworth and Paul Wake at Manchester University. They were very kind to invite us there, and we talked to them about their Kickstarter campaign for the upcoming Carbon City Zero, a deck builder that they've created in collaboration with the charity 1010 Climate Action. We talk a lot about the Kickstarter campaign as though it's about to happen, but in reality, the Kickstarter campaign for Carbon City Zero is live and it's doing really well. Head over to Kickstarter and search Carbon City Zero to check the game out or to back it. I'll leave a link in the description so you can check it out. Welcome to today's episode of Board Chitless. Today I'm joined by Lecky. And we also have two very special guests who we're very excited to have with us. We have Dr. Sam Illingworth. Hello. And Dr. Paul Wake. Hello. From uh, MMU, Manchester Metropolitan University, the faculty members of uh, the MMU who are also big avid gamers like us so uh, we're very pleased to have you on the show and I'm, now that I've given you the the standard introduction I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself more in more detail to tell us about who you are what you do and you know how, how special gaming is to you starting with Paul right well hello uh, so I'm my name's Paul Wake I'm a reader in the English department uh, but for some reason they let me teach people games <laughs> so I, I teach uh, my students games and they write about games and they also write games. The other side of what I do is as one of the co-directors with Sam of the Manchester Game Studies Network and we do all kinds of different uh, kinds of gaming activities, research, we make games, um, we have a lot of a lot of fun so work's become really very entertaining. So I'm a senior lecturer in science communication and my research and work is around developing dialogue between scientists and non-scientists and especially giving voice to audiences that might be traditionally underserved or underheard by science. And some of the work or part of the work that I do is with Paul, with the Manchester Game Studies Network, as well as you know conducting academic research into board games and also video games, but Paul and I are really interested in analog games the most. We also write a column for Tabletop Gaming Magazine and we write research articles. And then also Paul and I have recently started to design games as well. And I, th- I suppose the tagline that we like to think about is... It's going to go for it. Going for it. <laughs> Practice. Hit us, do the marketing. <laughs> so, so, well, we design games that start conversations. And that's that's nice. really what we, we try and achieve with the games that we're designing at the moment. Cool. Excellent. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. And you can tell us all about the game shortly that you, you and Paul are working on. What I wanted to make a note of quickly is how cool it is that you've turned your roles, in your professional <laughs> academic roles, such a way that you are able to just game and do game design and talk about games and write about games as part of your professional lives. It's like it's Trojan a... horse board games into <laughs> yeah. an everyday job. It's absolutely amazing. I think more people could learn a lot from you. But it is very much the case of sometimes when Paul and I will be doing serious academic work um, <laughs> where one of our partners or a colleague will come in and go, what are you doing? And we're like, well, we're quite clearly discussing the role of colonialism in Catan. It's this serious academic work that we're doing here. So, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, obviously, Paul and I have several other aspects to our jobs as well, but we feel really privileged and fortunate to be able to work with a medium that both of us love doing um, so much. And, yes, it is a great opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and gaming and learning go hand in hand, I feel. Certainly 
part of my motivation for designing 1066 Tears to Many Mothers was to like add that historical element into gaming. But you're sort of taking that to another level by helping your students to develop by learning how to write games and create games, Paul, you were talking about before, and yeah, so as we, part of their studies kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we, my, my students look at games in two ways. So firstly, they look at games as a sort of cultural event or moment. So uh, just like they might read a book or they might write about a film, they'd also write about games. And so for my, most of my students, that's video games, but the very dominant cultural form. So they, they find that really exciting. And then the second thing we'd like to do them is to look at how they might write games and use games to make their own games. A lot of them want to work in the games industry, as you, you might expect. So we do a lot of sort of industry-facing stuff and try and get them working working that in that vein. So, it's, yeah, it's really exciting. It's a real treat. Some say it's a real treat to be able to do that. We're very lucky, I think, to be allowed to yeah. make work so much fun. And I think something that Paul and I really try to do and that we're really keen on is helping other people in higher education use tabletop games as a medium through which they can teach their subjects. So over the past couple of years now, we've been working with colleagues in art, in history, in sociology, in psychology, in ecology, all the ologies basically, <laughs> um, on how they can use ready-made board games as ways to you know, start conversations. Yeah. And that th something we're really passionate about is really don't like edu games, right? Like, you know, these, these are games that are not designed by games designers. They're primarily, they're games that somebody's thought, Let's make climate change bingo or something like this, right? Which isn't entirely... This is your game, right? <laughs> and it's, or, you know, let's do a reskin of Monopoly, Physicsopoly. Right. And these are games that nobody would choose to play of their own volition. Whereas what we, we think is really important is picking games that have been designed by games designers and that are fun and yeah. that people want to play because they're great games. And then thinking about what learning outcomes can come from those conversations that take place during those games. And like for us, that's an amazing way that games can be used, not just in higher education, but you know, in pedagogy more generally as well. Okay. Yeah, it's like when you're at work and they go, right, today we're going to do some role play. And exactly. you're like, oh, cool, and you grab your dice and stuff. And like, no, 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 no. You're an angry customer and I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's like nobody wants to do that kind of role play. Nobody wants to play that kind of edu game. <laughs> it's like you get people volunteering to go to primary schools and it's like, we're going to play this financial awareness game. <laughs> exactly. It's like, exactly. Oh, the skin's crawling just thinking about it. <laughs> but what do you discuss with um, your colleagues? Like, say a sociologist will come to you and say, right, we want to develop a board game to help learn these concepts. You go, right, cool. It sounds like a Euro, you're going to need these mechanics or you're looking more of like a broad overview of like how you want people to interact with each other. No, absolutely. So I guess instead of like designing games, it's using commercially off-the-shelf available games that already exist. So so it would be working with colleagues who, for example, want to talk about a particular topic and then working to see what games that we know from like our experience might be able to touch on that topic to enable those conversations to take place. So, for example, one of the issues in, in art I mean, with a lot of students is imposter syndrome. So this idea that, you know, I'm an artist. Am I an artist? Especially yeah. amongst our students, to what extent do I become a proper artist? To what extent am I a fake artist? And these are really important questions that are quite difficult to, to tackle in, in a meaningful way in a higher educational environment. But the board game or tabletop game, a fake artist goes to New York I don't know if you yeah. played this game, right? It's an amazing way of starting to have those conversations. So, right. you know, in it, um, one person is um, one person is a fake artist, everybody else is an artist, and one person basically gives everybody, apart from the fake artist, something to draw. And the fake artist doesn't see what that is. 
And what happens is each of the artists need to add one line at a time to this, to this item. Let's say it's a cat. And the fake artist needs to also add to that item without being caught out. Uh, okay. And it's a really, really great way of then starting for people to feel about, am I imposter? Am I real? Am I fake? Am I, am I an artist? Am I not an artist? And when we've played that with our students or with, with yeah. um, academics that are interested in starting these conversations, it's a, just a natural and enjoyable and fun way of talking about something that's really, really important to those students rather than using a game that's been designed to do something that feels very heavy handed. Excellent. Yeah, it's almost like a really like interesting concept. And from a research point of view, then have you ever been come across in a situation where it's like, ah, oh, I don't know if there's a game that covers this, we need to go away and there's a board game look. for everything these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, theme wise, that there is pretty much a board game for everything. And so, what's the what was the racing car game we used? Oh, pitch car. Yeah. So one of the things we had to try and do was to work with uh, young people at a music festival who were about seven or eight and. This was part of a, it was the Institute of Physics, wasn't it, who funded this. And they wanted to teach something physics-y that would engage with this very young audience. So we took pitch car and we, we, we talked to them about uh, Newton's laws of motion, yeah. about friction, um, and played pitch car. So in that one, the, the mechanics of the, the game were all about physics. It's all about, you know, flicking and, and the, the sort of the gliding motion of the, the piece and stuff. Whereas the theme was was completely didn't you know didn't really fit at all i suppose whereas sam's example of fake artist the theme was perfect and, yeah. the, and the mechanics are also pretty good so so far we've not we've not found one we've not been able to find mm. something that's so cool and and do the other department heads they approach you or is it something you're sort of pitching around and kind of like championing are you throwing board games through the corridors <laughs> just trying to find ways to play games all day every day <laughs> my first experiment we, 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 we are definitely getting to a point now where we're running out of space for the games that we have like in the official Manchester Game Studies Network capacity people are aware of the work that we're doing now which is great we got like an internal grant from the um, Centre for Excellence in Learning and Teaching to Fantastic. work with other academics Lovely. exactly for this reason to you know, help them to develop resources and you know, think about what kind of games to use and I think as Paul was saying, you know, thinking about theme and thinking about mechanics from the times we've done this, it seems to be the ones where the mechanics convey the message or enable the dialogue to take place. They're definitely the most powerful. Chemistry Flux is a really good example. So the game Flux from Lily yep. Labs has many, many different skins of which one is chemistry, of which one is maths, of which one is physics. And in theory, that's a really great idea because you can be playing Flux and reading the cards and learning information. But what you tend to realise with fluxes, you don't read the cards, do you? You just pattern match and you play the game. So actually, it's those games where the concept of the actual mechanics, pitch cards a great example, is something that's able to convey that idea or that theory much more powerfully than somebody sitting and reading reams of text on cards, which we know yeah. just doesn't happen. And it's cool that you're sort of getting breaking down those barriers from um, when you were talking about the arts game before, it's taken away that sort of social awkwardness that comes from opening a discussion like that. Mm -hmm. With a board game, you're giving everybody the same set of rules and the same sort of structure to open the conversation or, or discussion or experience. I mean, that's one of the things we found is really useful about games is that they create this space in which people can, you know, a, talk to each a other. A magic circle. A magic circle. <laughs> Some might call it a magic circle. Uh, I wasn't going to say the magic circle. But we found, we found it's really useful. That, you, know, people can, you can even be unpleasant and unkind and attack mm. each other in yeah. a game. And in that context, and that's you're justified. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And in so the best take, games. You can take on roles that aren't, you, aren't your own assumed from positions and it, and it works. It works really well. So it, yeah, it, they've been good. Sorry to interrupt. It, it kind of brings uh, different types of people together as well because you you get people who are a bit more socially awkward opening up more 
because they're given a structure and a framework that's easy to understand and it, it puts everybody in the same position as players in a game. You all occupy the same sort of role in a social circle. If you're out at the pub or if you're in a group of friends or if you're in a university lecture or whatever, you have those different social dynamics that dictate, you know, who's the alpha and who's the shy guy and who's, you know, you all have those different sort of societal social roles. Whereas within a board game context or a tabletop game, you all are occupying the same sort of role naturally. And then your own personalities might come in and change that dynamic within the game. But at least you start out from the same sort of footing. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, in terms of, you know, the wider context, exactly that. Think about like team building exercises, yeah. but actually playing like collaborative games with one another, like something like Dead of Winter is a yeah. really, really great way of like, enabling students to just chat to each other. Yeah. And, like, have fun. Like, so one that we've used a lot in, not in for any particular pedagogical reason, but just as a way of like getting students to meet and talk to each other is Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is like, it's my favorite game anyway. It's my favorite table. This will encourage collaboration. <laughs> one of you is going to be a killer. <laughs> but it's it's great. And, you know, it's because it's one of those games that actually is really easy to pick up. Yeah. You need one person who kind of knows, who knows, knows the rules a little bit, but then it's just exploring a house and everybody can experience that. And, it then becomes this really, really great way of enabling them to bond and to have this to have this social interaction yeah. that they might not normally be able to have. And you know, to to then to an extent, the game becomes the tool that enables that interaction to take place. Yeah, and that's that's a nice example because it's got such a sort of narrative Absolutely. experience to it. You're flipping a tile and you're moving, but you're actually developing a story together and, and collectively sharing an experience. And obviously, there's a huge surge of cooperative games at the moment, which totally changes the dynamic of gaming because rather than like, like I was saying before, like yeah. you know, smashing against each other, you, you're working together towards a shared goal. And I wonder how that sits with, you know, people who are new to gaming. We're all gamers here, so we know the difference between competitive and cooperative games. Yeah. But for people coming into gaming for the first time or having this experience through people like yourselves who are introducing them to gaming, having a cooperative gaming experience, I wonder how different that is, you know, and like what a different experience it gives to people there's, in terms of... There's a whole range um, of games now coming with both competitive and cooperative um, rule sets. And you can see the market really is clamoring for more. They, they want more co-op. And they, you get a lot of people on like Board Game Geek and Facebook saying, I'll, I never play competitive games. We've got a friend who won't really play competitive games. Well, because they don't like the aggression or the way that it's then set up as a social dynamic. They want to be building stuff and helping each other. Yeah. Um, there's one game that I got uh, from Pax Spindle Games, uh, Ninja Squad. And David Brayshaw, the CEO there, he went away on a Sunday and wrote his own co-op rules for the game because a few people were coming up to him saying, it's a great game, but I'd love to play it in this fashion. So he's like, okay, we'll enable that. So it's interesting to see now what going further down the line, if we're going to just get more and more board games that are like, you know, one player, four players, yeah. competitive and co-op. They've got all these extra modules and expansions just to help more people have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. solo play's huge as well, isn't it? That's oh, it's whole, massive. That's a whole yeah. other discussion about like making <laughs> games that you can play by yourself. And with cooperative games, I think a lot of people ask for that because they want to play against their five-year-old or whatever and they don't necessarily want to trounce them at War mm. of the Ring. So they might want like a more, <laughs> you know, let's save the world together instead and... Uh, uh, play Flashpoint or something. But yeah, getting slightly uh, digressing away from the point I was going to ask you about. Mm. So the game that you guys are working on, let's hear it. How how is that competitive, cooperative? What's the story and what's the name? And tell us all about your game. So the game that Paul and I are working on at the moment is called Carbon City Zero. Paul and I have you know worked on a few games before, but we, we were working with this amazing climate charity called 1010 Climate Action. 
and they were like, would you be able to design a board game around heat decarbonisation? <laughs> which Paul and I oh my God, I get asked that all the time. Yeah. If anything, it's too sexy at all. But, you know, so we, we were like, well, you know, we'd really like to, it'd be interesting. And then, you know, my background's in environmental science and to be honest, even I was something I was completely unaware of. So we're looking at some of the statistics and that they're pretty frightening. So the idea behind heat decarbonisation is if we want to be a country that is meaningfully reducing our carbon emissions by like whatever year, we need to tackle the housing market. And it's really, really important. So, and it's not just building new homes, it's retrofitting those old ones. And if we want to meet EU standards by 2050, we need to retrofit 20,000 homes a week between now and 2050. To put that into context, we're currently doing 20,000 a year, (laughs) which gives other reasons for why some people might be keen on Brexit happening uh, (laughs) sooner than expected. So, you know, this is a really, really important thing. And, you know, we consider ourselves to be quite educated people, but we'd never really heard of it. So it's like, right, this is something that obviously conversation needs to start taking place around. And actually, for the reasons Paul was just saying, tabletop games are a great place for those conversations to take place, right? And like both at and away from the table. We started designing this game and we're thinking, right, we really want it to be like a debt builder because we both like debt builders. And debt builders in in some ways are actually, even though it's a relatively new mechanic in, in board game circles with Dominion, it's actually quite a straightforward concept for people to grasp that haven't maybe come to board games before. Some, in some ways, actually, bizarrely, deck builders are more difficult for people who have got experience of card games before rather than coming to it fresh. Yeah, because it's kind of turning it on its head. Yeah. So. Exactly, right. So we're like, right, we really want to work that. It needs to be like a two... And then we, then we start thinking, like, what are the constraints? So we want this to be a game that policymakers can play, that um, people in higher education can play, that researchers can play, that people that are needing to make these, like counsellors can play, that are going to make these decisions can play. So it needs to be something that takes under an hour. It needs to be something that takes two to three to four people. It needs to be something that's sustainable, so, you know, cardboard, and it needs to be something that can take place without facilitation so that it can just be played as a game. And, of course, that people want to play because it's fun, yeah. not because it's trying to teach any kind of message. You are the mayor of a city of your choice, and the idea is that you're racing to become the first carbon zero city. So you start off on a points tracker, and then you start off with a pretty rubbish hand of, like, poor yeah. housing stock, limited budget, like remote properties. And then as you go, as you would with Dominion or Star Realms, you upgrade as you go. And, you know, you can have like eco houses and like net zero hubs and renewable incentives. And we were really keen that the language that we were using was correct and the mechanics that we were using were correct as well. So we actually designed this in collaboration during workshops with policymakers, with local councillors, with like climate change activists, and again, come back to this idea we're talking about that we really wanted the message to be conveyed in the mechanics rather than the text. Mm-hmm. And so in the game, you know, as we, you've got like four different, like three different suites, as you will, or suits. So you've got like a housing, um, a local government and a industry. And in order to win the game, you have to give thought to all three of them and they have to work collaboratively together. So that's basically how the game works. Um, we've been working with an amazing uh, Mancunian artist, called uh, Tony Pickering, who's done all the graphics for us, which which are really, really good. And then um, 1010, they've got a fantastic graphic designer there, professional graphic designer called Matt Bonner, and he's been doing the graphic design with us. Um, so we got it to like a certain point on Nandek, and it was like, 
this is like not embarrassing to show people now. <laughs> and then, you know, then, it's the most you can hope it's, for. Exactly it's right no now. longer embarrassing yeah. to show. This is it's not embarrassing. It's completely illegal because all, all, all the photos are just, you know, from somewhere. Just borrowed. Yeah, borrowed. And then, you know, it's now at this point where it's, it looks great. It's been um, play tested by several hundred people now. Fantastic. It does its purpose in terms of it, you know, it starts conversations. It takes about 30, 40 minutes to play. It plays best, we think, as a three player. Any profits that are made will then go back into buying extra card stock. Yeah. So those games can then be given to local communities and schools that we work yeah. with through the charity so that they can play it. So there's no profit to be made in this particular instance. And again, it was really important for us that we work with a sustainable producer so we're working with ivory graphics who have got really good forestry commission standards they print in the uk which again is not possible for everyone especially when profit margins are tight but for us that's not an issue it's more about having a sustainable game so we're purposefully avoiding we're trying to avoid like plastic wrapping yeah but then yeah. letting people know your cards it are probably wonky. Wonky, <laughs> <laughs> by the time you get to it but that's that's okay. So what we're really hoping for is that, you know, it's, it's well picked up and kickstarted, but then also that people start playing that game and having conversations about it and really start thinking to themselves, what does it mean to be a zero carbon city? And what can we as an individual and we as a local community do in order for that to take place? And introducing this concept by having a game and a, com a friendly competitive game which mirrors really what's happening in the real world, you know, this idea of who's going to be the first carbon zero city. Is it going to be Newcastle? Is it going to be Manchester? Yeah. Is it going to be... Yeah. And it, but that's really good, friendly competition that we want to have in order to drive the game forward and, and drive the agenda forward as well. I love that you've, uh, sort of every level, tried to add as much authenticity as possible, not just in the actual context of the theme and the names on the cards, but even the actual, the way that the game is produced as well. It's, yeah. Fantastic. You've got a noble cause. Yeah, you've got to practice what you teach to a certain extent, especially if you've got a quite, you know, there's a there's a lesson that you're trying to teach people. So then you can't have it all printed on plastic cards and yeah, shipped we from. Better, that's an irony we want to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plastic box of plastic. You know. We're also making ten pounds each yeah. in every copy. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, really trying to be like as as transparent as possible with it throughout throughout the whole process. Yeah. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's been for us like really interesting doing like the workshops that led to the design and you know we, we really went in with an open mind being like we kind of we want to we think a deck builder will be right for this but you tell us how you think what cards need to be included mm -hmm. and then you know playing at each stage with these different groups and, and obviously you'll know being far more qualified games designers than us that it's that it's that tricky thing of wanting to accommodate most of the needs but at the same time being like it's it probably wrong fun. there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, not everybody's, not everyone's, got, and everyone's got slightly different agendas with things as well. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the yeah. fun things. So one of the things that came in the workshops is that we put names on the cards that we thought were right. They told us some weren't, and some we changed, some we didn't. But what we're hoping is when people play it, they might think, no, that's wrong, and then they have to work out why. You know, so why would it, why an eco house? Why not this? Yeah. Why not you know hydrogen gas? Absolutely. Uh, so, so, so if we've got, so we've got to kind of get out of jail free card, I think, in that we want people to talk about it. So if we've got it wrong to the point where they talk about it a lot, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, like you said before, it also feeds into the fact that it's just opening up the discussion on that yeah. in the first place as well. It's not, it's not like a historically proven thing because what you're talking about here is yeah. the future and, and how we're going to develop as, as cities and stuff. And also you can have the uh, worldwide expansion and start moving those cities out to New York and Paris. This and is something we are currently exploring as well. I mean, so one of the, one, and one of the things we're trying to do with the Kickstarter um, with the pledge levels is keep it fairly basic. So like you, you've got your standard deck, but then one of the things we're, we're doing 
Um, we are going to do this. We're going to commit it to audio. So what is happening? So you've got like basic, doesn't require nudity. <laughs> basic pledge level, but then also you can pledge quite a bit more yeah. to be a city that features in the game as one of the cards with an alternative rule. So then we're going to introduce a level of asymmetry where. Every, where at the start of the game everyone gets dealt out a random card yeah. which is like Bristol or Manchester or Rio de Janeiro and if you're Rio de Janeiro maybe you've got slightly more money to spend yeah, variable because, player powers yeah, exactly right yeah, nice. but then that's something that the you know green commissioner at Rio de Janeiro can then pitch because then Rio de Janeiro will be represented in every single card deck so that's like quite an excited cool. but that, that was yeah. but that was a great example of something that came out of the playtesting in that someone suggested this as an idea and we're like this is a really cool idea that wouldn't necessarily work just in the base game, but as a like alternative r- rules variant, and then we can you know inc- increase that and include that in the pledge manager or pledge level would be really really cool. Yeah. Well, the, other, the other thing people wanted was not a competitive game. Mm. So so quite a few people said, well, this isn't shouldn't be a competitive thing, and we see it as a kind of happy, friendly, exciting competition. Who can be first? Yeah, inspiring each other. Um, but you're so, not screwing each other over. One yeah, I mean, way, it's, so it's I quite Euro in that sense. There isn't yeah. a lot of. Is there any way you can interfere? With it? Not um, really. You're building you can be slightly. <laughs> it's a bit like Dominion without the expansions. Like so, you pl- when you're playing it without without like the witch and things like that. So it's you can be exactly the process. You can be unkind without necessarily <laughs> like completely. You can't be. Yeah. You can't really be aggressive. Yeah. But but one of the things we're planning to do, hopefully, again. We'll see if this comes out. Is to find out about six or seven different ways of playing the game that aren't the way we describe it in our rules. So we yeah. want to include with the game. Look, you know, here's a here's a way you can play it so that you're actually trying to all reach zero by a certain point. So I think actually we'll, like collaborating basically. Yeah. So I think I think as, we, as you were saying, you know, I think we'll try and build in some different ways of playing it. So we've presented our way, but I think we quite like to think. Well, how else might people play this game? Yeah. Fantastic. What else might they do with it? And just think of some different. And with deck building, it's it's such a great framework to be able to do that because you could add something as simple as. You can now buy cards for other people. You know, so yeah, you buy yeah, a card and it goes into their yeah. de- discard pile instead of yours. And, you know, just s- slight tweaks like that that will change the nature of the game, but yeah. keep the fundamental mechanics intact. And I think as, as gamers ourselves, you know, we're really, really, when we play games, you know, obviously having house rules, but oftentimes changing the rules completely because it's something that we want to do with the game or we want to have fun with it. And I think it's making, encouraging people who are maybe outside of the gaming community to realise that, rules are there as guidance yeah yeah it's like when you're playing D, like this they state you know this is guidance you don't have to stick to them at all right they're a framework that can help and that this is one variant but exactly that you know that's a really cool idea we should make a note of that it's one of the rules it's like buying cards for your people it's really nice but exactly that idea and then allowing those conversations to take place with those rules variants as they come up as well yeah a lot of the time having fun with games is the modding and the hacking so when we play on a first day a lot of the times we don't let Tristan take a turn and it really increases our enjoyment of the game Um, absolutely and this is you know know, that that modability is one of the reasons why we, I mean, you know, both video games fans as well, and there's a lot of work, a lot of research done into how video games can be used in education, in communication. But for us, I think one of the benefits that tabletop games have over video games is that they're just so easily moddable. Yeah. You know, whereas you don't need to have... You don't have to break the code. No, exactly. And have really specific skills as well to be able to do that. Really, you need a pen and a paper and you can mod almost any tabletop game, which makes them... Exactly, in classic (laughs) classic, which makes it a really, really um, inclusive way of encouraging everybody to be able to modify these games for an environment that suits them. Yeah. From a sort of sociological point of view, when you were playtesting this game then, did you see that you were people that were attracted to the game for playtesting, were they mainly people that were already eco-conscious mm-hmm. or 
were you able to sort of introduce the game to people that were quite ignorant to maybe global warming or causes of it? We had, yes, yeah, so because we had, we actually playtested with several different groups. So we started off playtesting with our sort of closer friends to make sure that we it was, wasn't completely awful. Uh, and then we kind of broadened that out. So we playtested it with uh, science, climate change scientists. We playtested it with um, policymakers. So we've actually played it in, put it in lots of different places. And the feedback we've had each time has been sort of, different so gamers focus on well this is a bit like that or this doesn't quite work um you put it in front of climate change um activists and scientists might say well why are you saying this that's not right you know they can critique the the phrasing on the cards yeah. in a way that maybe other people couldn't so we've had to kind of add a, add a kind of couple of extra levels of play testing and to make sure that it, it spoke to different different groups really which has been really really fun hasn't it yeah, absolutely them? yeah and i think you know that's with any level of science communication or communication in general reaching an audience that isn't already engaged in the issue is really hard but absolutely what you should be aiming yeah. to do but i guess one of the things we were thinking as well is that a powerful way sometimes of doing that is by reaching those people who themselves have a really powerful voice so like like policymakers yeah or like local councillors or like community leaders so that they can then take it back into their organizations their communities and say look this is something we need to be talking about we need to be talking about it now Excellent. Cool. Are you prepared from a personal point of view to deal with the inevitable climate change deniers and the sort of trolls that are going to come out and say that this is like a, from an eco perspective, it doesn't make any sense because we're all fine and the ones who deny like man-made climate change because it's that's going to be an issue. It will come up mm. because I'm only thinking, I'm not trying to worry. I'm just thinking of like yeah, games yeah. like CO2 that have Absolutely. created this discussion where people come out like almost flat earth equivalents who, who deny it and they're going to... Yeah. potentially no no absolutely i mean up. and i think a lot of my you know regular research is around how we engage um people on the issue of climate change and other contentious issues and i think for me it's about actually not shouting down those people but allowing for the fact that they have different needs and different experiences and they've come to their realization or they've come to their um, opinion for whatever reason they have and I think there's a large problem sometimes and the board game community can be really black and white yeah. about things and it's just like if you're not on my opinion then you're wrong mm -hmm. and it's like it's all right for people to have different opinions and yeah. you know you know obviously I think the climate I know the climate catastrophe from a scientific point of view is anthropogenic it's a huge probably the biggest problem we face today but if someone's a climate change denier, me shouting at them, telling them that they're idiots, isn't the way to go about changing their mind. Yeah. Even me trying to change their mind isn't the way. It's about saying to them, okay, you've got your opinion. Let's let's have a discussion about it. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to try and change your mind. I just want to listen to you. And then trying to understand those needs and experiences is really powerful. And board games enable that to take place, right? Yeah. So it'd be really cool to be playing Carbon City Zero, which isn't, to be fair, massively about... Climate, it just makes a statement that it's an issue. Yeah. But it'd be really cool to play that with some people who identify as either climate change deniers or climate change agnostics and see what conversations arose. And I think that'd be a really powerful testament to how games can enable in those conversations to take place without just you know shouting at each other, without listening what you yeah. have to say. Brilliant. Fantastic. It. it sounds like you're thoroughly... Thoroughly prepared. <laughs> well, that's it. Like, the alternative is to just like make a list of swear words that you can use in the forums to yeah. throw them. But like Sam's saying, really, you, you're creating a board game to transmit a message, and that doesn't in itself have to be a magic bullet. You've, you've put the idea out there, and if people take it up or not, it's, it's down to their personal opinion. But yeah. the fact that they're able to you know, interact with it and then make a further decision is, is brilliant.
it's better than doing nothing. Yes, no, absolutely. I'm just, uh, just po pointing out that it, it will be a discussion point that... Oh, totally. Totally. Well. Totally. We, we um, hope people are going to discuss it, so <laughs> if we don't hear anything, that will be the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, um, to take it to a bit of a uh, Sunday morning radio show sort of level, for this project, who would be your perfect backer then? Because it sounds more like, you know, it'll be great if, you know, uh, Dave and Jenny on the street bought the game, but... Also, you know, if uh, Vladimir Putin bought a copy, that, is, <laughs> that seems like it would be a little, little bit better for you. So who do you envisage going out and back in the game? It's a, really good, it's a really good question. So I think for us, there's several different audiences. So first of all, there's the Kickstarter audience, and it looks visually really appealing, like really, really nice. So I think it will, be, it will appeal to people who are gamers. It's quite a nice price entry point as well. I think it will also appeal, we want it to appeal to people who will use the game in a community or educational setting or to start conversations. People who will buy the game because it's something that agrees with their beliefs yeah. or you know their friends or their families or their children or whatever. But also, I think we're really interested in just people who find the topic something that's on their periphery, but they want to find out a little bit more about and they want to start having those conversations. So what we're having in the like, rules book is a glossary of terms that talks about and provides further information. There's like a set of design notes on yeah. how people can find out even more about it. So then hopefully they'll be like, oh, this is a great game. Like we're having these conversations. How can I find out more? Definitely reaching those audiences that are already engaged, but then also on the periphery of those people through their groups and through their groups' groups, reaching out into the wider audiences to be able to start talking about this really important issue. I think it's a great project to yeah. stick your teeth into. And it's, it's from my point of view, from like games I've been exposed to as well, it's a lot different to what I've been seeing on the market. Oh, so God, the, like the amount of themes that you've absorbed vicariously through a game that have <laughs> no actual interest yeah, yeah, exactly. or like knock-on effects or uh, value. <laughs> we were talking about one before. I'm not going to name it now, but it, it gave me um, an education in a subject I had no interest in. <laughs> and I feel like it's, it's pushed out like old stuff in my brain that could have been more useful. Uh, whereas this is gonna, this is a noble cause. It's going to teach people, educate them, um, and give them, like a, I think, a really valuable discussion. I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be... It's going to be a good one to watch. Oh, definitely. Where can people find out more about the game? So they'll be able to find out more about the game on the 1010 website. So it's 10 colon 10. Um, you can also look to the Manchester Game Studies Network, which is manchestergamestudies.org. That's manchestergamestudies.org. In the coming weeks, and we'll be able to we'll be putting up a few more blog posts about that via the Twitter feed as well. Fantastic. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for talking to us, and good luck with it. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks very much. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Future Lecky here, once again, just to remind you that the Kickstarter campaign for Carbon City Zero is in fact live. There's a link in the description, so head over and check it out. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>